0: This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin.
1: I'm Joan Newberger, editor of Not Even Past, and today our guest is my co-host, Christopher Rose, who is outreach coordinator at the Center for Middle Eastern Studies and um, coordinator... For uh, with hemispheres, the International Outreach Consortium at the University of Texas at Austin. Hi, Chris. Hi, Joan. Our topic today revolves around World History Standard Number 14, uh, which goes as follows: The student understands the development of radical Islamic fundamentalism and the subsequent use of terrorism by some of its adherents. So, Chris, the History standard focuses on what it calls radical Islamic fundamentalism and terrorism. Can you talk about the place of radical Islam in the whole practice of Islam in general?
0: Sure, um, The first thing I guess I should say is that the the terminology here is incredibly. Complex. Uh, some people say radical. Some people say extremist. Some people say fundamentalist. Some people say jihadist. I mean, basically, we're really talking about the people who um, espouse violence as, as part of, of of their their practice in Islam. Which um, the first thing, a point I would make is that we are talking about a very small percentage of the overall Islamic population of the world. Uh, even though it does get a lot of news. And clearly, it's a very important uh, trend in the world political scene today. For example, the number of people directly involved with the 9-11 plot, including the 20 hijackers, was less than 50 overall. And at its most powerful, all of the al-Qaeda branches together in all of the countries where it was operating had less than 5,000 active members. And this is out of a worldwide Muslim population of over 1.2 billion. So as I said, even though this is an important topic in current events, we are still talking about a very small percentage of the overall Islamic population of the world. And I would encourage those who are talking about this in a classroom to remember to bring that up that most of the world's Muslims don't have anything to do with terrorism.
1: Then what is the relationship between terrorism or extremism and Islam? Is all terrorism in the Middle East, for example, uh, related to religion or culture? Not at
0: all. Uh, in in fact, uh, up until the 1980s, most of the extremists, the armed extremist movements uh, in the region, were actually secular in nature. A good number of them were Marxist. The idea, for example, that the Israeli Palestinian conflict is seen as a holy war is is actually an idea that tends to get put around a lot in the West, but is usually only espoused by the extremists on both sides on the ground there. Most Israelis and Palestinians simply see this as a battle over land and resources that they both claim as their own, based on historical precedent, but not necessarily religion. I have a chart on our website that accompanies this podcast that explains who some of the active groups are, but in a nutshell. For example, right now, uh, the West Bank is controlled by the Palestinian Authority, which is the successor to the Palestine Liberation Organization, or PLO. The PLO is a secular group that was founded in the 1960s, and it's mostly associated with Yasser Arafat, who led it for several decades. Arafat, for the record, may have given lip service to Islam, but his religious devotion tended to end around happy hour. Its main rival for decades was the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which was a Marxist organization. The PFLP fizzled out in the 1970s and was replaced as a key actor in the, in the Palestinian resistance by Hamas, which is the Palestinian chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, so they are clearly uh, an Islamic organization. Hamas took off in the 1980s with support from Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, and they are now the government that controls the Gaza Strip. So, In fact, the Palestinians have have suffered a civil war, and uh, the West Bank is controlled by one government. The Gaza Strip is is controlled by another. Uh, It is worth mentioning that there are small Jewish extremist groups at work in Israel that also fuel this conflict. Uh, Let's not forget that Itzhak Rabin was assassinated by a young right-wing Jewish man in 1995. And that was a huge shock to many Israelis, as well as people all over the world, because up until that time, uh, violence had been something that had been associated almost exclusively with the Palestinian uh, end of the conflict. Also, uh, another group that, that popped up a lot uh, in the 80s and 90s were the Ba'athists. This was the movement that was the do- that is currently the dominant political force in Syria. Uh, it is the ideology that is espoused by the current uh, Assad regime for as long as they will last, um, as well as by Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Um, and this is a movement that ironically was actually first proposed by a Lebanese Christian by the name of Michel Aflac. Um, he proposed it as an alternative to the Pan-Arab movement that was espoused by Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser in the 1950s. Aflac wanted to propose a Pan-Arab ideology that used less Islamic terminology so that Arab Christians wouldn't feel threatened or left out of the movement. It was adopted as a state ideology in both Iraq and Syria, but then, of course, both countries decided that they were the ones practicing it properly, um, and the other was doing it wrong. So, interestingly enough, even though both countries neighbor and were both Ba'athist, they never got along. Uh, Saddam Hussein suddenly started uh, working Islamic symbols into his government in 1990 after the invasion of Kuwait in a misguided attempt to rally the world's Muslim population to his side against the allied forces who were preparing to launch a military strike against him, it didn't work. Uh, the pictures of him sharing lots of alcohol with various state leaders, the rumors of many mistresses uh, were just too strong for him to be credible as a religious man. And also, quite frankly, a lot of people just didn't like him.
1: So where does al-Qaeda fit into this picture? What, what role does religious fundamentalism play in the al-Qaeda movement?
0: Al-Qaeda is is an outgrowth of the Salafist movement, which uh, came out of the Arabian Peninsula a couple of centuries ago. It claims to be a movement that seeks a return to, quote-unquote, pure Islam, as it was practiced under the Prophet Muhammad and immediately afterwards. Uh, the Salafists have thrown out or discarded a lot of what they feel is, quote-unquote, innovations or practices that were added in the centuries afterward. Uh, The Salafist ideology is essentially constructed on the notion that only their version of Islam is correct. Everyone else is misguided. And if they reject the Salafist message, they're not actually Muslims. Uh, This is why Al-Qaeda had no problem attacking Muslim targets. According to their own ideology, the people they were attacking weren't actually Muslim. Um, And they certainly had no problem attacking non-Muslim targets if it uh, fit their goals. Uh, Let's not forget that Osama bin Laden was responsible for the deaths of many more Muslims than non-Muslims over his tenure as the head of of the al-Qaeda movement.
1: Why do you think extremist violence has played such an important role in the Middle East? The ultimate problem in the Middle
0: East is that freedom of expression is extremely limited. And this is one of the things that has led extremist and violence uh, movements to to really take off. Uh, In 2011, for example, uh, Freedom House, which ranks every country on Earth, depending on whether they are free, partly free, or not free, uh, listed only one country in the entire region as politically free, and that was Israel. Uh, Israel proper, I should add, not including the territory, not including the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, Morocco, Kuwait, Lebanon, and Turkey were listed as partly free. Turkey keeps going back and forth between free and not free, according to Freedom House. But all of the other countries were not free. This, combined with a population that is growing rapidly as increasingly younger. Uh, Half of Iran's population, for example, is under the age of 30. Uh, Two-thirds of Saudi Arabia's population is under that age. Uh, This means that you have a young, reasonably well-educated population coming into adulthood with basically no chance that their standard of living will match that of their parents, and in some cases, their grandparents. Unemployment is extremely high. Uh, College graduates frequently work in the informal economy or work manual labor jobs, and that's if they can find work at all. Uh, And they have absolutely no chance to register their disappointment at the ballot box. For years, one of the things that attracted people to be part of these extremist groups, odd as it may seem... Uh, was literally that they seemed like they were the only people actually doing something. Arab politics in particular is full of lots of talking heads who go on TV and sound like they understand what's going on, but nothing really ever changes. And so when you have a generation of people who feel as if they can't control their futures, and that they're powerless, this breeds violence. Um, And I think one of the keys to this is you don't see this, this extremism or violence taking off in South Asia, for example, or Southeast Asia, where 40% of the Muslim population in the world lives. Um, But India, Bangladesh, Indonesia, Malaysia, these are democratic countries. And so you don't see the same level of discontent there. Another reaction, of course, is the Arab Spring of 2011 that continues. Um, It's probably one that's a little healthier. uh, And it has managed to change the system in three countries already, Tunisia, Libya, and Egypt. And as of now, Syria is teetering on the edge. One interesting thing to note about this is that although the Muslim Brotherhood did win the majority in both the Tunisian and Egyptian parliaments, And some commentators in the West are a little concerned about that. In countries that have liberalized their political processes, Jordan, Lebanon, Kuwait, Turkey, uh, Islamist parties usually come in victorious at first because they were the best organized opposition movements. But then within an electoral cycle or two, they usually lose their majority and things balance out. So, for example, if the Egyptian military can keep its hands off of things, which admittedly is a big if, we'll probably see a different picture there. Uh, in a a few years, which is what most of us are hoping for.
1: Thank you very much, Christopher Rose. Uh, We've been talking about extremist uh, movements within Islam. Thanks very much. See you next time. If you have
0: a suggestion for a topic you'd like to have us talk about on an upcoming episode of 15 Minute History, go to our website, blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15 minute history that's one five minute history and click on the contact us link in the right sidebar the opinions and views expressed in today's episode are not representative of the university of texas at austin or any of its constituent bodies and are solely those of the people who spoke them